Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. Uh, you know, I, I have great respect for the work of apologetics. I've written a number of books myself uh, dealing with apologetic issues. Um, and at the same time, I'm also well aware that for many people, uh, it's not so much argument that brings them close to the kingdom or into an encounter with Jesus. There are other issues, circumstances in their life, the sense of the presence of God, um, an answered prayer, uh, a testimony story which moves them. There's a certain logic or sense to it that uh, allows them to put down their defenses and actually be moved uh, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I think this is especially true for questions surrounding the Blessed Mother. The Catholic Church's Mariology, you know, teaching on Mary is really strong, and it, it, the logic of it is so compelling. Uh, once you begin to get close enough to it to see it, but the truth is, many people are very suspicious. They're always afraid that Mary is some sort of is like she's siphoning off glory from Jesus or something, right? She's, in a, she's obstructing a clear vision of who he is. So I wanted to take a, a moment. We're in the month of May, the month of Mary. Uh, the first segment I talked about, those of us who are trying to champion the life, uh, the full life of the unborn, uh, we really are under the mantle of Mary. And I thought, okay, look, let me make it clear why I think this is important to me and why this was my biggest this is my biggest hurdle in returning to the Catholic Church. So yeah, it's it's rooted a little bit in my own experience in life. But you know, I, I can remember the moment when it draw it really dawned on me why Catholics make so much of Mary. There's one word. Why do Catholics make so much of Mary? One word will do it. Jesus. You know, the Catechism is very clear here. What the Catholic faith believes about Mary is based on what she believes about Christ. And what it teaches about Mary illumines in turn its faith in Christ. Mary's role in the Church is inseparable from her union with Christ and flows directly from it. That's from the Catechism. Uh, all the Marian dogmas originate, first of all, as statements illuminating the real identity of Christ. These are not doctrines that first show up regarding Jesus' mother. They're doctrines that flow because she is the mother of Jesus. Uh, so all that the Church teaches here flows out of the logic of the Incarnation. Catholics make so much of Mary, very simply because we make so much of the divine person. She conceived, she bore, she nurtured, she taught, she raised, she proclaimed, and for whom she suffered the grief of a mother's loss of a child. You know, we have all the patriarchs, all the prophets, all the kings, the apostles, the evangelists, the martyrs, the fathers, the doctors, the priests, the bishops, wonderful to talk about them. They are all those who bore witness to the Word of God. It's Mary who literally bore 
the Word of God. She didn't merely bear witness to the Word. She actually literally bore the Word of God within her. And among creatures, she really is in a class by herself. Luke 1, verse 48, all generations will call me blessed. Uh, and it has that's true. In the West, when somebody talks about the woman, they're talking about Mary. Um, and yet, uh, as the medieval Italian poet put it, Dante, she is more humble yet more exalted than any other creature. Jesus, a good Jewish boy, would honor his mother. And those of us who imitate Jesus also honor his mother. Our appreciation of Mary is proportionate to our love of Jesus. If we worship the Son, we are certainly going to honor the mother. Catholics also make uh, so much of Mary because her life is rich with uh, models of discipleship. Uh, Jesus is the master. Mary is the model disciple. She's an active listener to God's Word, right? That's the whole point of the Annunciation. She's an active listener to God's Word. She receives it. She keeps it. As Gabriel announces uh, that she'll be with child, and that be with child, quote, out of wedlock, that's potentially dangerous for her. But you don't see her hesitating or disputing uh, that she might be in a vulnerable social situation. She just asks a simple question uh, that's designed to identify more precisely how she's going to carry out the word she just heard. How, how can this be? How am I going to be a mother when I have no husband? It was implausible that she could become a mother without a husband. It wasn't within the realm of plausibility for her. And when Mary receives the supernatural promise that her pregnancy will be a work of the Holy Spirit, she doesn't shake her head in unbelief. She just says, okay, let it be done to me according to your word. That's a very quick ascent. Uh, and it shows a character that is commonly obeying. That's the word of somebody who knows what it's like to obey God. So she's a type of the ideal disciple because she receives God's word. Um, she receives God's spirit in such a full way that Christ is literally and concretely formed within her. Uh, she's the one who's most visibly and tangibly impregnated by the divine word. We're all to some degree impregnated by the divine word. Uh, the New Testament in a few passages indicates that. But we, of course, refer to it kind of metaphorically. For her, it's quite literal. While the Holy Spirit's poured out God's love uh, into our hearts, uh, the Holy, you might say the Holy Spirit has poured out God's love into her womb. Uh, she's the one that Jesus commends when he says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. She, she's also a model of prayer, uh, praise, meditation. After uh, Elizabeth confirms the great things God is doing in Mary's life, Mary breaks out in song. It's what we call the Magnificat. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. When the shepherds leave, after telling her what the angels had told them about the birth of her child, she, quote, keeps all these things, pondering them in her heart. So Mary not only receives God's word and does it, 
She reflects on it. She ponders it. She prays over it. She's also a heroic figure. Uh, You know, those of us who, and all of us, will suffer. Uh, There are some of us who have actually been able to look to the Blessed Mother as a heroic model for us in our suffering. She's the Lady of Sorrows. We have her feast commemorated on September 15th. And she was warned by Simeon that her son would be set for the fall and the rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is spoken against, and then he adds, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So she knows, again, this is at the birth and dedication, excuse me, at the dedication of Jesus. She knows a soul will be piercing her heart, her soul. A sword will be piercing her soul. It was 30 years later that she really felt it at the cross. She's there at the foot of the cross witnessing the death of her son. He's condemned as a common criminal. And even that is is too antiseptic. He's humiliated. The physical uh, pain that he suffered, the indignity of a, a naked crucifixion, and all that meant for his natural bodily functions. This is a man who's been humiliated, and his mother's right there at the foot of the cross. And suffering had marked her life. She had a problem pregnancy, you might say. Uh, There was no room at the inn, as the common phrase goes. She had to go into Egypt, in a sense, uh, you know, she was a refugee. She had a son who, I guess in one way we can think was a bit of a runaway, um, you know, going to the you know, leaving her and, and Joseph in the caravan. Uh, and her son was stigmatized as unstable and mentally ill. <laughs> so, I mean, she had to go through all of this. There was a lot of public shame that she endured because of how people understood her son. And then, of course, there was the death, uh, the death of her only son. I mean, I don't know what how much she knew Right, we we know that she's aware that there's a supernatural plan at work here. I suppose that helps to some degree, but we don't know how much she actually anticipated about what was on the other side of the crucifixion. What we do know is that uh, she was there, and uh, she had to be thinking at some level. This. This was a boy, this was a man of great promise. My son uh, was going to do something great. Has it come down to this? So when the centurion thrust the sword into Christ's side, it was sending a sword into her side, just as Simeon had predicted. Mary does have an essential place in salvation history. She's not just an add-on. I know a lot of non-Catholic Christians don't really don't quite get her position in salvation history, and I'm sorry about that. Uh, the logic of the Incarnation means that the mother is going to play a major role in salvation history. St. Paul says when the time had fully come, when the time had fully come, what did God do? God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
uh, Mary, as the mother of Jesus, is part of that whole uh, means, mechanism, design, whatever you want to call it, by which we become adopted as sons, and we become partakers of the divine nature. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, and we are able to now speak uh, with filial devotion, Abba, Father. None of that's possible without Mary, by the way. We are adopted into the family of God. We celebrate the love of the Father, the mission of the Son. We receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And we've got the maternal role of the woman from whom the Redeemer was born. And he's the one who guarantees our divine sonship. In a certain sense, you might say she's the mother of our sonship. So Marian devotion is, of course, always proportioned uh, in respect to Christ, of course. Venerable John Henry, or now Saint John Henry Newman, uh, when I, when I uh, was first writing about this topic, uh, John Henry Newman was merely venerable. He said, I don't suppose we can love Our Lady too much as long as we love our Lord a great deal more. Or John the Twenty Third uh, remarked, the Madonna is not pleased when she's put above her son. <laughs> I think that's right. And I think actually most mothers feel that way about their sons who make great moment in the world. I'm Al Creston.